на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We join you this week with a packed game week of fixtures to cover from last weekend. In the midst of another game week of RPL fixtures, as Karelia versus Siska is actually taking place in the background at the time of recording. But it's been a little bit of a quieter week than it had last week, obviously with all the the goings on that with, with Ragnik and Lokomotiv and everything else. So we're going to take up some time to recap some of the recent matches, review the end of the Finnael first half of the season as their winter break has now already begun. And also, starting off, we're going to take a look at who Ralph Ragnick's successors are at Lokomotiv. So since we last recorded, and of course I am joined by David. Hello. And Richard. Good morning, gents. How are we all? I feel like I'm in deja vu when it comes to Moscow clubs and sporting directors. Uh, as everyone will probably already know, Ragnick has now been confirmed at Manchester United as their initially interim manager. His work permit has been granted. And the man who is alongside him working in tandem as the technical director, Thomas Zone, has now been installed as the sporting director. In addition to Zone, he's going to be assisting Lars, Lars Kornetka, who is largely Rangnick's right-hand man, who's been appointed the head of sport and development at Lokomotiv. And that was on Monday following the departure of Rangnick. To quickly look at Zone, though, as he has... Lots of experience in the Russian game, as we all know. He will be responsible for coordinating internal projects within the sports department, planning team lineups and managing contracts. He will also be involved in the club's transfer activities, which include scouting promising players and assessing potential newcomers to Lokomotiv. In addition, he will oversee the direction of the sports science and medicine and organise the training camp for the main team. Now, to quickly first go through a little bit of Zone's career, he is a Russian-German football administrator and trained lawyer. Um, born in Moscow, he moved to Germany while he was a child. Uh, studied at the Free University of Berlin. It's uh, obtained a DFB player agent license and took up activity as an agent initially in Germany. He then, of course, moved after his studies and getting experience in Germany. He moved back to Russia. Uh, had worked with the Spornaya set up as an administrator behind the scenes, sorting things out for them, uh, worked as a football agent, uh, was famously former agent of Elmia Nabiulin. And then in May 2019, he took over as the position of general director of Spartak Moscow. Now, he had already worked for Spartak or alongside Spartak as a FIFA match agent for two years. But this was him now really becoming part of the hierarchy at the club. Uh, his activities was to be the office of the managing director and sporting director rolled into one. Um, his first big decision that was really his own was bringing in Domenico Tedesco from Schalke. Uh, and I think a lot of Spartak fans would probably agree that that was arguably one of the better things that he did during his tenure. Uh, to quickly go over some of the signings, because he was responsible for transfers during his Spartak time. Uh, Zorn brought in to the club Andre Scherler, Gus Till, Alexander Sobolev, Ezekiel Ponsa, Alex Kral, Rezian Merzov, and Jordan Larson, amongst others. But even though that is a little bit mixed, and he did bring in Tedesco, who was largely adored by the Spartak fan base. Zorn himself, his time at Spartak was generally thought of by a lot of the fans as mixed at best. Um, a lot were pleased upon his departure. Of course, that departure which was paving the way for Shamil Gazizov and then started the sort of decline in that position now to where Spartak have had two people there as sporting directors since Zorn and are now currently without any form of sporting director. So a bit of a, bit of a mess. But Richard, what, what do you think about Zorn? Do you think that he could maybe replicate some of those clever transfer si- market signings that he did at Spartak? Or 
you think maybe he's going to be a little bit more of a, a Mezov job? And do you think that he's going to improve Lokomotiv? Because I think the best part of Rangnick moving to Manchester United in Lokomotiv's perspective is that he's no longer at Lokomotiv after the turbulence some other have had. It's really difficult to say at the moment, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, you, you brought it up there, James, didn't you? His, his signings record at Spartak was very, very mixed. You know, you put the likes of, you know, Kral and Larson, you put them as good signings. You put probably players like Ponser kind of in the middle a bit, hit and miss. And then you probably put the likes of Mirsov, Till and... Um, and yeah, players like that as as as, as flops. Um, so his signing record was very very mixed. Um, although he did bring Domenico Tedesco to the club, like you said, so that's a net positive, I would say. It's difficult to judge. Uh, yeah, Zorn at the moment. I thought you know, and considering the chaos, what's happened at Spartak since, you know, um, maybe at the time it was looked on as negative, but maybe looking back at it now, it might actually, <laughs> you know, even though he was a bit hit and miss at Spartak. It, it, Going looking at it now, it might not necessarily have been the worst thing in the world. So let's see. Um, you know, obviously, at least the the Ranjit to Man United thing has been done nice and quick. At least Zorn has been has come in now. Konetka is going to come in and assist him. Um, he's obviously got an interesting couple of windows ahead because I think Lokomotiv desperately needs some. It's crazy to think they spent a huge amount of money on players, yet they're still lacking a striker. Really, I think. You know, um, Smoloff has dropped off in form since his early season good good start. You know, Zay Luis has just not done it for them since signing. So, and, you know, but already if you wonder, it's going to be quite limited as to what they can do in January because they've already spent a lot of money this summer on transfers. And so, yeah, it's really difficult to say at the moment. Probably the only good thing to come out of it really is that at least replacements for Randy could be announced nice and quickly. But, but yeah, I think things are tough at the moment for Lokomotiv, so I think they're in for a fascinating few months, I think. Yeah, I think you need to try and find out what his influence was alongside Rangnick, really, to put any sort of summary on Zorn's initial time, because he is largely a, a Spartak Moscow reject, to be, to be frank. He was kicked out of the club, essentially just sacked quite uh, vociferously and without a lot of thought into it. Um, the German sort of revolution, I think as many people were calling it at the time, at Locomotive just never really took place. And it's not the first time that that, that Loco have tried to do it either. Um, way back in 2016, um, Loco were able to rid Olga Smoritskaya from her directorial position in which she had her own son-in-law working as the sporting director, which is just the height of nepotism. Um, Ilya Gerkus came in, the former Zenit commercial director, and then Yuri Siomen. But Gerkus in 2018, was it? Brought in Eric Stoffel's house, the former Schalke man, uh, same as Tedesco. And that was their first kind of attempt at this German revolution. Um, and the, on the on the pitch, that period from Stoffel's house up until Ragnik was highly successful, um, winning numerous Russian Cups, winning the league, getting into Europe regularly, really bringing Lokomotiv up to the next step. So I remember when Ragnik was first brought in to Loko as the consultant, and I was quite, I think everyone was quite excited. I kind of wanted to see what his plans were. Um, he himself even said that he wanted to try and create like a the Red Bull in Moscow. I think was was exactly what he said, um, if I remember correctly. Paraphrasing it, of course. Yeah, that was it. Sorry, I, I've got the phrase here. I, I want to create a Russian Red Bull, a system to bring the best players in and develop them. Russian football has the potential to do this. We just need a good plan and program. Early doors, he was very much all about the long term. Well, that long term lasted less than a year. So, yes, you're going to go calling when a club the size of Manchester United has come in for your services, without a shadow of a doubt. I think that's a once-in-a-lifetime job that you can't really turn down. But if you just look at the way that he went about his business early on, we went across it a little bit last week, but signings, 
one thing that Rangnick generally tends to do is 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 lower the average age of the squad and look with an eye for the future. Alexis Bakar-Bakar has probably been the best of this, but other players have severely underperformed and just look like bizarre choices to make when he ostensibly had a very settled, quite well-performing squad with an overperforming manager. And it seems like he's just came in and ripped all that apart in a sort of weird... Arrogance is maybe the the wrong word, but he kind of just ripped ripped apart a vision that was already working and wanted to implement his own, and then left after a year. What part of that did Zorn take place? Uh, did did Zorn take hold? What was his responsibilities? Obviously, we're never going to find out that, and at least in the very short term. But it's a little bit worrying that Zorn has been part of this, seen this decline. I think Lokomotiv's attendance at the last game was only 5,000 against Akhmat. So the the fan clamour, obviously, has ridden far off and derailed. So it's it's a little bit of a worry that Zorn is now being given more control with the man who is ostensibly Rangnick's puppet, essentially, or two of Rangnick's puppets who have been put in place in Gizdol and Kornetka. What is the plan? What is the next step? I'm just very, very suspicious of all of this, Richard. And I think maybe some of that is my Spartak links in seeing what Zorn did to Spartak as well. Yes, Tedesco was a good signing, but there was no long-term plan. It was everything was very much short-termism. Made some good signings, but equally some absolutely horrendous ones that they're still paying the price for now. Yeah, um... It's, I think, again, it's a classic example, like you said, James. And and then, yeah, at, lo- at Lokomotiv, I'm kind of getting the impression that they tried to do too much too soon. It was a settled squad. Mm-hmm. I've absolutely no problem whatsoever with, you know, bringing in, you know, identifying young talent along the Red Bull models, you know, identifying young talent, bringing it in, selling it on at a profit. That's obviously was the goal. Um, I think that's something that Russian football has to improve on the signings and the development because at the moment, you know, that's one way Russian football developing is signing young players and then selling them on and the league becomes more sustainable. You you generate profits, you then reinvest. Um, But yeah, I think they tried to do it too soon. I think they probably should have held back some of the spending in the summer, like signings like Technesian just were bizarre in my opinion. You know, I mean, he he hadn't done a huge amount at Suska and then they they massively overpaid for him. but yeah, Becca Becca was was probably yeah the shining light. in Yedvai was was quite good. Those two signings, but the others, yeah, struck me as a bit of panic buys. Really, you know, especially you know Smoloff is not the youngest striker anymore. They probably should have looked another striker there. But but yeah, yeah, I think they tried to do too much too soon. They should have kept Nikolic probably till the end of the season. Yeah, I really hope that for Lokomotiv's sake that things suddenly start recovering a little bit because it's it's not been good so far, has it? But yeah, I think no. I think the idea in principle was right, but I think they tried to move too too quick too soon. It would have been better giving it a year to assess everything and then in the summer of twenty twenty two maybe then look at that kind of model. But yeah, who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. But it is all a bit um messy at the minute at locomotive, isn't it? It's it's not a good look. Yeah, certainly. I mean one thing that this regime have been successful in is bringing Lokomotiv's average age down. Um, we'll get into the performance last weekend and the, the loss against Arsenal Tula later on. But just looking at the lineup, Kudyakov, 17, Nenakov, 22, Yedvai, 26, Murilo, 24, Rebus, one of the few over 30 at 32, Barinov, 25, Beka Bakar, 20, Lasakovic, 23, Marilashvili, 21, Petrov, 20, and Smolov, the only one over the age of 30 in the first team squad at 31. So he has successfully lessened, or they have successfully lessened the average age of the squad. But what really worries me with Zorn now is is that that little part of the preamble of his duties that are on Lokomotiv's website, and in particular, deciding team lineups. David, does that not set off red flags in your head of him being in charge of the team? Because that's what basically why they pushed Nikolic out of the door earlier on in the season? Yeah, um, I'm still wary of the whole situation of 
what did Ragnik actually do during this this period? You know, there's so many rumors like of essentially him just having large amounts of control, um, far too much control for what his position really was. You know, uh, you know, we heard the rumors of, of players being withdrawn from selection by the doctors uh, in an effort to pro- to undermine uh, Nikolic and, and things like that. Um, it's not ideal. Um, I, I suspect with the new setup that Zorn, um, you know, with the fact that he's, he speaks fluent Russian and his long-term uh, history of working in Russian football, um, will sort of make him the bridge between Kornetka and the, the locomotive setup. I, I suspect that, that Zorn's role will actually be um, not, as, not as heavy as we might think. Um, and it will be definitely more Konecka. I was just reading that uh, Rangnick mm. called him the best video analyst in Germany. Um, so, so I imagine for considering Germany and its links to um, you know the analysis of, of football in general, uh, fairly high praise. Um, there, there's talk still that obviously Rangnick's still going to be having you know have his fingers in locomotive. Uh, as part of you know the consultancy that they've got going on, you know it's not they didn't appoint Rangnick in the summer. They appointed his consultancy, like his consultancy, and he was just there representing that consultancy, and that's why Konecka stayed on. Mm. Um, so I suspect Rangnick's influence will be still there to a degree. Like he'll still be able to, you know, Konecka will go to him and and say, look, we're doing this, this, and this. What do you think? Um, but I don't think much will change on the pitch. I imagine they will have very similar styles. They'll have uh, add off the pitch too. They'll they'll have similar mindsets when it comes to transfers. You know, we we saw when they when they started all these documents were coming out right, which was detailing the, their long term vision for for the club. Um, and we we know that the limit is likely to exist in Russian football in one form or another for, for quite some time. And their their plan was, well, we need to they had a big shortlist of like young Russian players they should buy. Um, and that's why they went out and got Tignizian and married the Chile and they, and they spent that money on them um, because it's part of their long-term goal right, to, to have players um, you know, in that lineup. Uh, obviously I, I'm with you guys that I don't think Tignizian has high potential, um, but that, that I can see what their plan was. But the way they went about it is, has just not worked in, in the slightest. Yeah, I think that's a good point that the highlighting that Ragnik's continued influence probably will continue. Of course, the people in charge at the club are two of the three anyway of the triumvirate there are Kornetka and Gizdol, who are Ragnik's right hand hand men. Gizdol is a dismal coach by all accounts of people who followed him both in Russia now and in Germany. But there's a reason why Ragnik appointed him, and he's the ultimate yes-man. He allows Ragnik to pick his teams for him. He tells him in the style of play. He he signs his players for him. Gizdol's just there as a figurehead, basically, in my opinion. I just find the whole thing very bizarre. You, you set up these systems in place, clubs, modern clubs do anyway, so that they can have a sustainable long-term future for the club. You have a plan in place of which the club follows. Yes, that plan gets amended if it's maybe not successful. But you have a system where in which a manager leaves or a director leaves, any form of influential figure, then you just pick up another piece of the jigsaw. Difficult thing to do, of course, to find the one that fits. But in theory, you pick up another piece of the jigsaw to come in and replace them. No longer do you live on the whim of one individual. You don't have a manager who over-encompass, sees everything is really successful and then leaves and leaves them in no man's land. That's the idea. This is really bizarre because it's the first, one of the first times I've seen where it's that, but with a director, it doesn't seem like a sustainable model. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe in the long term, this is exactly the plan and they know that they're going to have short term difficulties and fair enough if that's the case, but looking at it without, the expertise that these people have behind the scenes, it really does not look promising. But anyway, we'll 
we'll move on from that because we have discussed to the nines all of Rangnick and Lokomotiv and Manchester United because it's an interesting it's an interesting case that someone who has been so unsuccessful in Russia has suddenly got one of the biggest jobs in the world. It's a little bit baffling for those of us who, in my opinion, anyway, who follow Russian football. Uh, let us know on on Twitter at Russ Football News. What what do you think about Ragnik's time at Lokomotiv? Do you think that we have maybe given him an unfair chance? Do you think that maybe he's he needs or his system and his consultancy team need a chance to do more long term because it is the bigger picture they're looking at? Let us know. Um, get in touch on on Twitter and we'll retweet some of the some of the best ones. Um. Next, though, we'll take a little bit of a break and from the RPL and look to the Finnael as we've just ended what was the first half of the Finnael season, David. Yeah, that's all right. Um, we, we say half. Uh, yeah, not literally. Not they, they played 25 fixtures out of, out of 38, so they're well over halfway. But yeah, you know, we, we class the winners as the halfway stage, obviously, because of the long break. Um. Yeah, season set up. There's nothing, nothing still decided, um, you know, or nothing undecided. Uh, wait, what's the way you want to say? Nothing is decided. I'll get there in the end. It's still early. Um, you know, the the top of the table is still to play for. Although we've got a couple of teams maybe just pulling away. Um, the top, the top was maybe not quite as close as it was. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe a month ago. Um, Orenberg still at the top, kind of have gone four points clear in the last couple of weeks as a couple of the other teams have struggled. Uh, Fakil Voronezh and Torpedo Moscow then just behind, quite close to each other uh, on 49 and 47 points. And then uh, just behind those, we've got a nice group Alania, Skar, Habarovsk, Neftechimik, uh, and we'll extend it down to Baltica as well, all within five points of each other, chasing the sort of the final top top four position. Um, if, you know there are some other teams sort of creeping up who have had some good form of late. Akron and Yenisei uh, have both climbed the table in recent weeks with some good, good runs of form. Um, but there, there may be just a couple of extra points out out of it. But um, you know we can't we can't count anything out. Last year we saw Fakil at this stage of the season were in the relegation zone uh, and they climbed way up into mid table. With uh, you know, there's 13 games left to play, uh, and they had a fantastic run uh, and got themselves out of it. And things can change a lot. You know, transfers can happen, um, and there's still things that can change. But it's seeming likely that we're going to probably see Orenburg, Fakil, and Torpedo. I would be surprised to see, or certainly Orenburg, drop out of the top four. Um, Fakil and Torpedo are looking strong, but obviously uh, transfers may may affect that. We. We know that um, Fakel losing their goalkeeper, uh, Ilya Svinov, the 21-year-old, he, he's going to go and sign for Spartak Moscow. Uh, I think that's actually uh, maybe just been announced um, this morning. So, uh, so they're going to lose that that um, that player in their team, um, and he's been a key role. He's just been awarded uh, the Young Player of the Month this this season in the Fenerbahce uh, for some good performances. Uh, so yeah, so they'll they'll be going for it, and then you know Alania, who were denied the chance to play in the playoffs last year because of their stadium. Orenburg obviously were denied promotion entirely because of their stadium. Uh, that that work's going to start over the winter break for them. Uh, they are, they will be doing their stadium up. Uh, Alania have been working on theirs throughout the first half of the season. They've played several games in, in Grozny uh, while that's going on. So if they're up there, they'll both be within. You know, they both should meet the the, the uh, qualifications to to go into the Premier League should should they make it happen. Um, if we look at the other the other end of the table, um, two teams sort of a little bit adrift is Tikstilshik and Metalurg. Um, Tikstilshik have got quite a... They've gone the opposite way from last year. They've got a very young squad, um, having had a very old squad in recent seasons. They've got a, a troop of guys on loan from Siska, uh, Valin Karpov, Masana uh, Ndiaye and Tigran Avanesian. Um, but they're they're struggling for goals mainly, uh, and they are they are rooted to the foot of the table. They they escaped relegation last year quite quite closely, and they they're going to be right in the battle this season. Uh, Metalurgia Pets who, who have struggled since promotion uh, look like they're they're probably going to be going down. 
Volgar, Astrakhan, uh, who had Gami Galarov in the spring of last season. He was there on loan and he, he scored a good few goals for them to set him up for his, his obviously insane run that he's been having at, at Ufa. Um, and then Brotov Volgograd, who I think we talked about a few weeks ago um, on the pod. Uh, they, I don't still think they've won, so I think they're now up to maybe 13 or 14 games without a win, uh, without me checking. Uh, yeah, they, they are really struggling. You know, they were in the Premier League last season and they're very much in with a chance of being relegated to the third tier if this form continues, uh, especially considering Kuban and Tom Tomsk have both had good good runs of form and have, have climbed well out of that. You know, Kuban were, were looking like heavy relegation candidates a month ago. Um, they sacked their manager. They've, they've just announced that a whole bunch of players will leave and they're now uh, out of the relegation zone. So they've, they've had a good little run uh, to make that happen. Uh, so, yeah, so now we're in that, that period, you know, we've got three months off um, and we're just waiting to see, you know, if we've already talked about Svinov, if any more players will, will come and move up to the RPL. Um, you know, we've seen it in recent years. There's, there's been a growing trend, which is a good growing trend that we want to see of uh RPL clubs signing players from the Fener L to play directly in their first teams. You know, we've seen it uh, work successfully with, for example, Makarov and Samoshnikov at Rubin. Um, and obviously the whole of the Krillia team who are now flying are, are guys who were just playing in the... Granted, they were promoted, but they were all playing in the Fener L last year. Um, so yeah, we, we, we've got Svinov, who's joined Spartak already. Rubin just announced the signing of uh, Marat Abshatsev from, from Tom Tomsk. He's a 20-year-old uh, defensive midfielder. Um, I must admit, uh, to last year I watched Tom Tomsk a lot just to see Nikita Kudovsov. Uh, this year, Tom Tomsk were promoted with about a week to go before the season because... Um, God, why did they get promoted? Something, something ridiculous happened and then they were like, oh, you're you're actually back in the finale again after they'd sold all their squad because <laughs> they thought they'd been relegated. Uh, so they just lumped together a whole bunch of players from <laughs> from the PFL um, and have somehow made it work. Uh, and Apshatsev, one of these guys who last year was playing for Spartak Nalchik in, in the Fen AL2 and uh, is now going to be playing in the RPL for Rubin. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. I, I, I need to do a bit more research on him, but um, that will be interesting. And, and there's a bunch of other players who, you know, who should be on the radars, you know, um, Otto Galoyan from, from Velez, who was close to signing for Cisco in the summer, um, had a chance to go to Ufa, but had all his eggs in the Cisco basket. And then when that fell apart, the Ufa, the Ufa offer was no longer there. He's gone back to, to Velez, Moscow as the captain, and has been really, really amazingly good. Um, and I'd love to see him, I mean, I'd love to see him at Ruby, my club, obviously, especially now that Oleg Shatov, which I don't think we've mentioned, Oleg Shatov announced his temporary retirement. Um, Last month, temporary. Um, yeah, um, he has been struggling gonna, a lot with injuries. He's going to grow younger. <laughs> well, he's been struggling a lot with injuries. Um, has not played in a long time, uh, and also, without being too specific, he he seemed to indicate that it's been having an effect on it on his mental health. Mm. So he said he was retiring, but will make a second decision in in the January uh, transfer, or you know, in the winter break, basically. Um, but he, he's basically said to Ruben, you know, act as if I'm if I'm retiring, but I will come back to play if I'm, if I'm feeling out to it. Um, so, you know, it, it's a massive shame that, you know, he's only 31 still, but um, we know he's had his troubles with injuries over the years. Uh, and he is a quality player. We've really been missing him since he's been out injured. And uh, I'd like, I'd like, I'd love to see Galoyan come in to, to replace him as a, you know, a, a player who would count as homegrown, you know. Um, Could he so make yeah. a step up? I I think so. You know, he's he's really some some player for this level. Um, and I've been surprised that he's not been called up for. I mean, I don't know what his how his allegiances lie, but I'm surprised he's not had any sort of call up from the Armenian national team sort of set up. Considering we've had Spurtian get call ups, uh, Ishkan Galoyan from Baltica, who's just an average Fenil striker, has, has been capped for the national team this year for the first time. Uh, I'm assuming Galoyan must has must have been contacted, but has said no for the time being, mm. um, because uh, he's undoubtedly got the quality to 
to play. If if those two guys, you know, Spurtian obviously is having a really good season for Krasnodar, but if Ishkan Galoyan can play for the national team, uh, Artur Galoyan could definitely play for, for the Armenian squad. Um, so yeah, I'd love to see that one happen. Um, and, we'll, and we'll see if, if others, you know, uh, the top scorer in the league is Yushin from Niftikimik. He's got 18 goals. Um, hasn't scored a lot recently. Uh, Niftikimik sort of dropped down the league a little bit. Um, their manager has actually um, been linked to uh, Ural recently. Kirill Novikov has been linked with the Ural job. Um, well, we all know how Ural is struggling right now. Um, <laughs> sorry, Andrew. Um, it's fine. So yeah, um, sort of just visual, just sort of orally wandering around here. So I'll stop where I am now. I think. I think. For anyone who hasn't seen it, I would highly recommend finding highlights of Kuban Alania back from back in November. Oh, yeah. uh, a nice five-five draw, for, for, which is a very, very rare occasion. <laughs> um, in that game as well, uh, for anyone who may not know, Kuban got former Tambov wing back Alexi Rebin, um, former oh God, Krasnodar central defender Alexi Glitzayenka. Um, one of David's former old favourite Flames, who never really lived up to his early promise, and Igor Bezdeniznik, who actually scored in the 5-5 as well. But my favourite of Kuban's current crop is uh, left wing-back, Yevgeny Georgi Gapon. Um, he's only one of my favourites, purely because of who his namesake is, and, and father, Georgi Gapon, who was a Russian Orthodox priest in 1905, who led the peasant and workers' movement towards the Winter Palace as part of the an appeal to Tsar Nicholas II for workers' rights and for increased rights, and have all had all these iconoclastic images of 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 the Tsar and of of God, and and of course resulted in the Bloody Sunday massacre. Capon uh, himself was actually not just a priest, but he was like a a, a police informant for the then Okrana, the secret police, and because he was a police informant and a socialist revolutionary member. He was actually murdered by the socialist revolutionaries, but it's just a little, little fun sort of aside there because he is a namesake of Yevgeny Kapon, but Yevgeny the footballer is Yevgeny Georgi Kapon, whereas the the priest is Georgi Yevgeny Kapon. So nice little namesake there, but it's 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 an interesting Kuban side that I would not have thought would stay up with the nutcase of Robert Yevokdimov in charge as well. Um, Rota look like they're in absolute hell. That's what, five losses in a row now and they haven't won at all in 12 games. Kokolov, the former Dinamo manager, has been sacked and they went through uh, underwent a large overhaul in the summer but still have some high-quality players. I mean, Kamil Moulin is is an excellent striker at our Fener level. Sergei Makarov and Ilya Martinov in defence is too good to go down. Uh, Alexander Tashayev at left back mind is absolutely horrendous and they deserve relegation purely for that alone. But will Richard, any any final thoughts from yourself on the Finnell? Any have you been anyone you've been keeping an eye on? I know that uh Chaika got done for match fixing and they um uh, <laughs> they've been battered. Sorry, that's a terrible northeast joke about seagulls. You know, most people won't understand that. Yeah, that that was the reason why Tom got reinstated, wasn't it? Um that was the reason David was looking for earlier. Just a few things on the Feniel, um Torpedo. Yeah, they've only lost two games out of twenty-five, but they've just drawn eleven. I think that's been the the major problem for them. They've just they've just drawn too many games. They've just turned three or four of those draws to wins. They'd be sitting top of the table right now, and I think it is very important for Torpedo to get promoted because obviously the Edward Stroltz off stadium is getting modernised. Um, so, you know, Torpedo have ambitions. They've got a private owner. They have ambitions to be a, an RPL mm. club. They've certainly got the structure in place to be an RPL club. So, you know, it is it is fundamentally important in the next few years that they, either this year or next year, that they get promoted. Um, just one last other team I've got an eye on is Baltica, actually, curiously enough, because obviously Sergei Ignashevich, who didn't do a brilliant job at um, Torpedo last season, he's come in at Baltica and revived them a little bit. You know, they're up to seventh place now in the league. It, Looks like they've been on a decent run of form, so yeah, I'm really the the Fenial looks really really interesting. Um, I, I think Orenberg are the one side you could probably say uh, looking certainties to come up, but behind that there looks a very good scrap. 
um, for the playoffs, as David said, with those six teams, Fakel, Torpedo, Alania, Skarhabarovs, Neftekimik and Baltica. All a good batch of teams there, all, you know, some um, have probably never been in the RPL before. I think Neftekimik never been in the RPL before. Some long-time absentees from the RPL in the shape of, I think, Baltica and Fakel. And then, you know, big famous names in the past like Alania and Torpedo. So, yeah, it's a nice good mix of teams. And, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what happens over the winter break with transfers, you know, ins and outs and uh, maybe managerial changes. But, yeah, and as you said, James, Rotor, that's a really shocking story. Is, are we going to have a second situation where we're going to have a big stadium built for the World Cup like we have in Mordo in, with, in Saransk? Is it going to be another one in, in Volgograd playing third-tier football next season? Pretty shocking, really. Yeah, potentially. It's a a big worry for the RFU, considering they were really pushing to try and get Rotor and the other lower leagues World Cup stadia cities into the RPL as soon as possible to try and avoid those white elephants that we see to this day in Brazil. I think it's that that stadium up north in Brazil where it's it's literally a completely abandoned and overgrown now. It looks like a scene from the Last of Us video game rather than a thriving football stadium. It's a sad story and I do really foresee that. I know uh, Volgograd is one of the worries as well, but the, the Baltica is the biggest worry for me. The one in Brazilia is shocking. I've, I've read now it's been used as like a, a coaching car park facility. <laughs> it's in Brazilia. Yeah, there's some in Brazil which have just been, yeah, shockingly. Yeah, it's it's... You really want to try and avoid scenarios like that, don't you? I mean, I think I think Saransk really. You've got to question whether it should have really been a host yeah. city, but that's a debate for another day. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, we don't have time for that one today. But it would, it will make for an interesting debate. I mean, Kaliningrad was only done for geopolitical context of it being a Baltic Sea port. But like I say, like you said, Richard, that's that's again for another day. Uh, there was some RPL action that took place last weekend that we. Didn't get to cover on last weekend's pod due to the timing and nature of the podcast weekends at the moment. Uh, I'll start off with a quick review of Himki versus Krasnodar. Uh, in my opinion, be by quite some distance most entertaining game of the entire weekend. Uh, it was a three-all draw in the end. Uh, to quickly go through it, uh, Victor Klaassen opened up the scoring quite early on, uh, finishing off a nice counter-attack with an assist from Jean Cordoba. Uh, who actually went off injured within half an hour, uh, replaced by Vladimir Ilyin. Uh, Krasnodar then got a penalty. It was, in my opinion, a penalty as well. I know there's been a little bit of discourse online um, regarding whether or not it was... If it was a penalty, I think it was quite clear. Um, Gregor Kokoviak, with the a horrendous effort, quite well saved by Ilya Lantratov, still the most underrated goalkeeper in the entirety of the RPL. Uh, went in, Krasnodar 1-0 half-time, and then the second half absolutely blew up. Uh, Ilya Kukalchuk with, got a pair of assists, two in two minutes. One firstly for Elmir Nabiulin to equalise, and then a second for old uh, adulterer himself, Denis Kushakov, to put Kimki into the lead. Cabela, Remy Cabela got one back for Krasnodar with a really nice finish. Uh, kind of slalomed in between two or three players, took it back on his right foot and across Lantratov, had no chance. Only for then for Alexander Dolgov to put Kimki in the lead with 20 minutes left. Now, all three of Kimki's goals were absolutely dreadful defending from Krasnodar. Dolgov's in particular was criminal. Uh, he's not the biggest of players. He's quite a nice little ghost, ghost of a run to the back post, but totally free just to knock this head header knock across in with his head absolutely no Krasnodar defenders anywhere near him and that and then late on 10 minutes left Vladimir Ilyin did equalize and that's how the game ended and that Krasnodar defense is really a story of the game and why in in, in microcosm of their season so far some of their fo- football going forwards was absolutely electrifying Real nice one-touch stuff on the counter-attack in particular looked really dangerous. Um, Cabela and and Klaassen in excellent form, really orchestrating things for Krasnodar. Uh, Krakowiak had probably one of the worst games I've seen play for them. He just could not be arsed in the least. Not only did he not track back, he didn't even ever look like he even wanted to try and bother starting to track back. Um, Sorokin and Kayo just couldn't deal with Himki's crosses and long balls into the box to Ademi 
and Mirzov and Kukulchuk in the top three, uh, up front in the three. Um, but this is why Krasnodar have had such an inconsistent season. But the sheer quality of players have got still set forth at the current timing in the table. Really good going forwards, real good talent, but so shaky in defence. Uh, David, you kept an eye on Arsenal versus Lokomotiv, as, as I did uh, tease earlier on in the podcast. Um, yeah, it was a Monday night game. And I just had the sense, Arsenal haven't looked so bad of late concerning their, you know, their season in general. But uh, Loco were going into this one with not many players available. They were still going to be having uh, Kubiakov in goal. They were, they were missing Kamano, Kirk. You know, it, it was a weak lineup they were putting out. Um, and I just thought if, if certain players turn up for Arsenal, then they should win. <laughs> and they did quite comfortably uh, win. And those players did turn up. Uh, Husevich, who, you know, will be a big loss for them going to Spartak in, in the winter. Um, open the scoring uh, from a Kings Kangwa assist. And he'd had he'd a, a, an earlier goal, almost a carbon copy, long ball over the top from Kangwa, uh, which he latched up to and scored. He, he had a goal about 10 minutes earlier, ruled out for offside just. It was very tight. And 10 minutes later, they scored the exact same goal. Um, then Evgeny Markov uh, chipped in with, with a brace, uh, which Sorry, uh, I was very proud to, to <laughs> say before the game that I thought he was going to do it. Uh, I, I picked him out. He he sort of not. Well, he's been on okay form of late. Um, uh, and and with Kudyakov, with Kudyakov in goal, uh, with Kudyakov <laughs> in goal, I just I just had that sort of sense that he he could, he was going to turn up for this match, um, and, and he did. You know, um, flicked in a corner early doors and then stuck another one in. You know, Kudyakov. He was named Loco's Player of the Month last month. Um, but he's still 17 and, and you know, young goalkeepers tend to be, if anything, weak in the air. Uh, and that's exactly what, what he was. Not that, you know, any of the goals were directly his fault, but, uh, you know, they, they, they took advantage of the, the young goalkeeper and took their chances well. Um, Loco got a late, late consolation through Pablo. Um, and I'm sure they will be welcoming back, I think, Kamano and Kirk, certainly both back in the squad this week. Uh, for their match this evening against the Royal, which they desperately need win. They desperately need a win. Uh, you know, Gisdol uh, will be desperate to get something out of the game. Uh, I think Marabishvili is also available after um, having a negative COVID test today. Um, so they need a result. Um, but it was a big, important win for for, for Arsenal. And uh, they've got Kimki this week, Arsenal. And that's another game that if they if they want to stay in the league, they, they need to be winning that match. Um, you know, Kimki are relegation candidates just like they are. Um, and they need to take that 3-1 win against against uh, Loco and, and move with it. So um, let's see if they can if they can carry on. I mean, I laugh at Markov because it's kind of ridiculous that he's gotten a, a brace in the end of 2021 against Lokomotiv. But yeah, it was a pair of really, really nice goals. Mm. Uh, to his credit, before he went off injured late on. Yeah, but, and when I say he's been in good form, I mean he's looked dangerous. You know, he's he's not mm. scored for a little while, but he he's actually looking like a striker who has a who's putting some threat on the pitch <laughs> rather than just not being on the pitch at all. I love how the bar is that low for Markov that looking dangerous is is playing like a striker. <laughs> but no, he, he did. Yeah. He definitely did against local in a team and, that don't create any chances. If he can just make himself get there, then you. Yeah. It's something. So, um, yeah. I mean, local probably uh, Arsenal. Sorry, probably could have won five nil <laughs> this game at one point. I think they had like what Klusovic had a goal disallowed. Uh, they had another one where they were through on goal and, and hit the post, and it was locomotive were all over the place. And it, uh, for me, it was their defensive line was just criminally high. It was, if anything, part of Rangnick and Gizdol, whoever the hell it is, philosophy of that. Real high press, real high line, real aggressive defending. Just left Murillo and Yedvai absolutely acres of space in behind their line. And Arsenal are really good, to their credit. One thing under, under 
uh, back under Bozovic again. They're really good at exploiting these gaps in behind opposition defences. They did that against Zenit really well. Kusevich, Markov, Kings Kangwa and Evans are just really good on the counter-attack like that. Uh, highly deserved win. Uh, Richard, you watched the latest RFN derby in Rubin Dinamo. Uh, surely you think that agree like me that if it wasn't for Georgi Zotov that Ruben probably would have won that match <laughs> yeah just very very quickly just one last thing on Arsenal versus Lokomotiv um, just, again you pointed him out very briefly there James Kings Kang with just some statistics courtesy of um, football won the kids on his game against Lokomotiv 90 minutes two assists five chances created six crosses eight duels won, 12 ball recoveries, two interceptions. So a yeah, very good all-round performance for him. That that pass for um, Klusevich's first was was brilliant. Um, pinpoint mm. pass, good run from Klusevich, kept himself on side, lovely finish. And yeah, I, I do echo David's thoughts that he's going to be a big miss for Arsenal Tula going forward. They've got to make the most of him before he goes to Spartak. Um, and yeah, Rubin versus Dinamo. Uh, yeah, I kept an eye on this. And yes, you're absolutely right that um, Georgi Zotov had a, an absolute shocker. Uh, he was dispossessed by, I think it was Vyacheslav Gulov. Gulov in the middle, from um, I think it was from a Rubin corner. He was dispossessed and then he laid it off to Makarov, who showed some good feet and slotted home the opening goal. Um, very good repost from Rubin, though. They um, got back into the game. Karat Shilia with a good cross to find... Um, Sotmurad Bakayev, who slotted home uh, the equalising goal. And then second half, obviously, beginning of the second half, Rubin were pressing forward and they got a penalty. Um, a shot had just cannoned off the post. And then Varela committed a foul in the box. It was one of those where he'd gone through the man after the sh- just after the shot had been hit. It was a penalty. Um, and, you know, um, Drea then put the penalty away for Rubin. And then after um, Sotov again, as this uh, common theme, um, decided to play volleyball in the penalty box with his his arm up. It was it was just a clear penalty. He he had an absolute nightmare. Um, but then you know Nicola Moro shot wide. But at that moment, you you got the feeling, even though they were behind in the game, Dinamo were getting on top. And it was only two three minutes later when um, Sebastian Szymanski put a free kick into the box, and Fabian Balbuena has been brilliant all season. Headed home the. Um, equalising goal and and then yeah late on Dinamo I think got a deserved victory and it was courtesy of the player who you know has been recently voted the November player of the month in Sebastian Szymanski and deservedly so based on his performances this season um, let's hope for Spornaya's sake that uh, Paolo Sosa in Poland keep not calling Szymanski up because I think it, it's criminal how he's not getting a call up um, and yeah that was a good win for Dinamo and Tell you one thing that's really underrated about them this season is, I mean, a lot of people have gone about their transformation, the Schwartz, their attacking style, their pressing off the ball, the development of young players. They're really good with set plays. I think that's that's really something that I've noticed from Dinamo, which is very very promising. You know, they're, they're very accurate with their corners and free kicks. They create a lot of chances that way. Um, and yeah, they've been getting all kinds of wins this season, haven't they? Um, you know, they've toughed out results against Krasnodar and Sochi. You know. Comfortable wins against Arsenal. Tula come from behind victories. So it's good that they're keeping pace at the top. And I'm really looking forward to that second game between um, Dinamo and Zenit, the last game before the winter break. But yeah, a good, it was a good game. I enjoyed Rumi versus Dinamo. Good game. And um, yeah, um, a good win for Dinamo that. Um, just also want to just mention a, a get well soon to Mikhail Kostikov, who in that match suffered a horrendous looking uh, injury Ooh. went in for a sliding tackle um, yeah there's that. been a lot of talk about the Kazan Arenas pitch or the Akbar's Arenas pitch sorry I should give it its proper name or its new name uh this season being a bit dodgy and he went in for a slide tackle and oh I, I couldn't watch the re- I I actually didn't watch the replay I, I saw it building up and I could see what was about to happen I had to look away um so I actually don't know quite how bad it looked, but uh, it looked like he went in for the slide tackle and uh, his ankle got caught in the pitch. And uh, it looked like it was going to be a fairly clean break, which uh, not good, but he's he's going off to Finland for an operation soon. Um, and I imagine we'll miss a good chunk of the rest of the season, which is a shame because he's been Mr. Versal for Rubin this year. Um, not a good striker, but when he's played elsewhere, he, he's done a good job for us. Um I've got to give him, you know, and, and I have to give him respect. He, he actually got us the winner a few weeks back against Rubin, uh, against Siska, sorry, when we won 1-0, he scored in the, in the last minute. 
Um, so, you know, uh, as much as he's not one of the stars, um, I hope he gets gets well soon because um, it, it was a very nasty-looking injury. Yeah, it was awful. Just awful. Wish him well. Yeah. Sorry I laughed. Um, it was a... <laughs> well, yeah, he was playing left-back at the time. Uh, and let's just think this is a guy who's been a striker slash attacking midfielder for most of his career. Yeah. So uh, respect to him for willing for being willing to play anywhere this season, which he has pretty much done other than centre half. I uh, I I I seen it live and then immediately sent it, <laughs> recorded it and sent it in our chat after you said that you didn't want to see it again. <laughs> I didn't mean to do it in that way. It was just to show everybody else who hadn't seen it. But then I went when I went on Twitter, <laughs> I seen that someone someone was calling it a, a, a trap of an injury because he got his foot trapped in the ground at the Akbar Stadium. And as the Star Wars kind of nerd inside, I, I was I found that quite <laughs> humorous little little thing. And he, he got like no retweets or likes on his tweet either. And I felt so sorry for him because it deserved a lot more attention than it should have got. But aside from that funny little little story that I've seen on Twitter. Uh, yeah, it, it was horrific. If anyone who hasn't seen it, I don't recommend watching it, but he essentially gets like his, his ankle trapped under his body between a divot in the pitch and his, and his back of his legs, his, his femur. And it's it's rough. It's really rough. I don't know if there's been any, I presume not yet, been any announcement on how long he might be out for. Well, Kostikov, uh, you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have no idea. They Ruben just put a statement out saying that he he's going to go off to Finland for for an operation soon. Um, I, I assume I haven't even heard officially what the injury is. I'm assuming it's a broken ankle, mm. uh, which I would imagine is a good sort of at least three or four months, if not more, out. Um, so so I can't imagine we we may well maybe we'll see him towards the end of the season. I, I don't know. I, I don't know the severity of the injury, but. I imagine it must be a good few months that they'll be out for, unfortunately. Yeah, certainly. And I'll finish off now just with some quick news in brief. Uh, for those who may have missed it, David has released these latest Russian data update and league add-on for Football Manager. Uh, we tweeted it earlier on in the week. Um, I will retweet that again for anyone who might not see it, but you can download it at FM Scout. And on Steam Workshop, just search RFN Data Update. Um, David's basically made like 3,600 or so changes of translations, ability amendments, um, updates to the foreigner rule that will bring in the new system eventually, uh, unlocking the third, fourth, and fifth tier of, of Russian football, including the new groups of the Finna L2 and, and a lot more. So everyone go download that if you are a football manager fan. Uh, the nominations for the Russian Young Player of the Year have been announced. Uh, they are Agalarov, Bozhinov, Zaharian, Karapuzov, Maradishvili, Mukin, Prokin, Prutsev, Stepanov, Tukavin, Umyarov, and Klusevich. Um It's going to be Zaharian. <laughs> I think there's very little doubt in that, in my opinion. Um, there's been some of the functionaries have been voting around for their top five. It's called the, the, the Fast Five, I think, if I remember rightly, or Final five or whatever they call it, um, young players in Russia. I think Dukov, Simonyan, and Abayev have all released theirs publicly. And as you would expect, Agalarov, Zaharian, uh, Mukin, Tukavin, and Umyarov are, are in most of them. Uh, little changes here and there, but there's also been quite a shameful situation that took place since the last podcast. Um, in the Siska Zenit match last week. At the end of the game, 400 Siska fans were detained without giving reason at the time at the end of the match and were kept in the dark for over hours. Now, the reason is apparently is due to the pyro show that took place at the stadium. Um, it was flares and pyro that you would expect to see anywhere, especially in games of this size. There was no injuries caused whatsoever. Now, pyrotechnics are banned in Russia but you still see them quite regularly on the streets and in the stadiums particularly. So it's just an absolute gross overreaction from the police. As a result of this gross overreaction, there's been some walks out of stadiums in solidarity with the Siska fans who were detained. Um, 
in the Krillia versus Siska match, which is at half time at the time of recording right now, uh, they actually showed all of the Siska fans walking out of the stadium at Krillia in solidarity again with those who were detained. And even some Krillia fans joined them too. So excellent from the fan groups there in solidarity with each other, working against gross over-abuse of power from the authorities. Uh, I think it's, yes, pyrotechnics are banned, absolutely. They can cause injury. I personally find no problem with them, but that's the laws. They are banned. But this is a gross overreaction. Some of the people who we detained have been discussing about about it and were saying that they weren't even involved in the pyrotechnics. They were just at the match. And because they had Cisco colours on, they were just detained with the rest. It was a gross overreaction and it doesn't have room in the game anymore. It's an absolute disgrace and the authorities need to be held to account for their treatment of these normal, good, working-class people. Um, and I want to finish off with the last story, which is a little bit more lighthearted to try and bring the pod back around. But Spartak play Akmat Grozny today. Uh, in a funny turn of events, today is actually the 10th anniversary of a game in which Spartak played the precursor to Akmat Terek Grozny on the 4th of December 2000. And eleven, Spartak won four two in that match, but they were two 0 down after half an hour. Uh, goals from Asildarov and eventual Senate player Maurizio. While they were two 0 down, there was a mass brawl that took place on the pitch. Um, I think every single player, apart from a few, were actually involved in the ball in in the brawl. Sorry, uh, Valeri Karpin was head coach at the time and made a few substitutions in the second half and some of those subs worked pretty damn well. Uh, in the second half, four goals from Kabarov, a penalty, Ari, and then Zuber in the 95th minute and Wellington in the 99th minute got the 4-2 win for Spartak. So it's a little little bit of a look back 10 years ago between a really interesting match between Akmat and Spartak. Uh, but that is the end of this week's pod. We'll be back again next week, but this is actually... David's last podcast before the Christmas break. Um, myself and Richard will be back again next week, but I'm joined by a couple of guests. And then for the last podcast of the year, we'll be joined by Football Radars, uh, Football Radars Anna, who is a specialist in Austrian and German football, to go through and take a little bit of a review of the German revolution to an extent, some good, some bad. That is sweeping the Russian Premier League at the minute. Uh, so look for, I'm looking forward to that podcast, but this has been the Russian Football News Podcast. Goodbye for now.
Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет. 